It's podcast time again. And the first bit of news is about the podcast itself. Uh, I've decided after quite a bit of thinking over the, the last eight weeks to alter the format of the podcast releases. Uh, as you may know, this podcast is supposed to be a monthly release. Uh, but I've decided to release it every eight weeks, um, starting from now. The main reason for this is that uh, if I do it as a bi-monthly release, it just gives me a lot more time to work on it. Uh, the monthly release uh, greatly depended on, on the work level. And, for instance, I mean, uh, during December, I wanted to record one at the end of December, but I couldn't because I was uh, I didn't have a voice to be actually able to uh, record the podcast because I was absolutely full of flu. Then, of course, I had to catch up with work that I'd uh, not done during the beginning of January as I, as I was recovering from my nasty dose of flu. So things get delayed and delayed and delayed. And hey presto, a podcast that should have been recorded in late December ends up being recorded in February. That's not very good. I don't I don't like that at all. I like delivering things on time as, as though it was a proper job. So uh, the best thing... I think that I can do is to make it uh, an eight-week turnaround for each podcast. I think that makes sense. Uh, I've been doing it regularly uh, for some time now anyway, so it's not really that much of a change. That means, of course, that there's going to be six podcasts like this. So what about the other six podcasts that would have been uh, if it had been a monthly release? Well, the idea that I've got for them is to do some podcast specials that might be shorter they might be 10 minutes they might be 15 minutes some of them might even be um, video i might have a bash at that a bit later on in the year um and the idea is is to uh do podcast specials occasionally generally out there in the world so for instance later on in the year when i'm in scotland i will do a uh, scottish podcast special which should be interesting to do like i say they're not going to be as long as this 10 15 minutes probably maximum keep them short but sweet and informative and i can get out there with the camera and things and uh, just record things at the moment i'm gearing up towards that side the iphone's just about ready and i've got a uh, google pad which i will also use as well to record uh, things when I'm away from the studio. So that is how the podcast is going to go for 2018. It's not a change that particularly I would want to make, but I think it's going to make for a better quality podcast and a more regular release uh, podcast-wise. Uh, they just been all over at the moment, and I think it's probably just sensible to, to do it this way from now on. Right, news. Well, December really was about Instagram. Um, I think 2012 was the year that Instagram um, found its feet. It was being used by an awful lot of people and then they decided to change their terms and conditions. And really what it was about was copyright. Um, the way that they'd worded the terms and conditions, it was, we can... Uh, effectively take your image and sell it to whoever we want and you will get nothing. A lot of photographers, rightfully so, uh, took this uh, in a bad way, um, shall we say. And according to some figures, you know, Instagram have actually lost 50% of their regular users. Now, whether they'll come back or not is uh, debatable. I think they will. I think eventually people will start coming back. And hopefully Instagram will have learned 
a, a really valuable lesson in that uh, I know that there's this term that if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Uh, but the, the switch side of that is is that these uh, companies like Instagram rely on vast a vast majority of people using the service to be a valuable product themselves, uh, to make the product valuable. If they start hemorrhaging users and they decide to go off to somewhere else, Flickr was uh, mentioned by a lot of people, um, it, then it completely ruins uh, the the service and basically you, you end up without uh, a customer base. You don't have uh, people using the service, so what's the point of the service? That's That's really what it comes down to. They've gone and changed the terms and conditions. I've decided to stay with them, at least for the time being. Quite honestly, the vast majority of images that I take, um, I don't think they'd be able to sell them. I mean, even they recognise that, you know, there'd only be uh, a certain amount. But for some high-end users, uh, people like uh, Time magazine... Uh, there's one or two photo journalists who use it. National Geographic. They uh, often feature work on uh, on Instagram. They got very very twitchy about this, and I think it was because they were starting to uh, mention that they were going to desert the ship. Uh, that I think Instagram realised that they they had a problem and they needed to sort it out. It was clumsy and it was idiotic and I would expect more from the people who manage Instagram. Photography is what that site is about. Uh, it might not be for, for them, um, but it is for the users. It's about the users being able to express themselves without worrying that it's going to be used by someone. And quite honestly, the easiest way that they could do it is say, well, look, we take a, we do it like a photo agency, for instance, where we take a certain, uh, we sell your image, you get something, we get uh, uh, a commission, and everybody's happy. Um, but, you know, sometimes they want something for free or maximise the profits. The wording of the terms and conditions was very dodgy and I didn't actually post any images and if they hadn't actually changed the terms and conditions I would have probably have deleted the account which some people did in a rather drastic uh, fashion. Um, I thought I would wait out and see the coming storm and see how that developed and rightfully so they decided to change it but it's one of those things that you're going to have to keep on checking on and looking at and make sure that you uh, keep an eye on these companies. It comes down to trust. Uh, Instagram has lost an awful lot of trust uh, recently. Uh, users don't trust it as much as they used to and it takes a long time for the trust to build back up. January. Oh, January was um, a fascinating example of how something happened there was a shock, uh, but you somehow... It wasn't a shock, if you know what I mean. Um, this is to do with the camera chain, the camera retailer chain, Jessops. In the UK High Street, Jessops used to be the uh, the leading player in uh, photography retail. Uh, if you wanted film, if you wanted photographic paper, uh, if you wanted a new camera, if you were after second-hand equipment, you'd go along and have a look at Jessops. They were in uh, the vast majority of uh, towns in the UK. They usually had a good, reasonable amount of stock. Some stores were better than others, but a really good Jessops store was absolutely fantastic. 
over the years, their dominance has been eroded by, well, a number of factors. I've talked about it on the blog uh, a number of uh, occasions on the blog over the years. I've talked to my frustrations about going in there and not being able to get certain pieces of uh, kit that I was after. Um, and really, it sort of caught up with them. The company, in the end, was finished off by debt. They expanded an awful lot in the 1990s. Uh, They probably expanded too fast. They took on an awful lot of debt. And then eventually, when the credit crunch came along, you've got to be able to maintain that debt. And they, they just couldn't do it. Add to that the fact that their business model had changed so much, they lost their second-hand market to the likes of eBay, where you could pick a camera up for... Certainly a lot less than you could do uh, in a Jessup's window. The last camera I bought from Jessup's was a Nikon F4. Um, it cost me an awful lot of money. Um, decent camera. You could check it out in the store. There was a, a warranty with it for, I think it was about three or six months. It was something like that. So the second hand, but you did pay for that in the in the long run. And on occasions where I have bought stuff, it ended up... Uh, braking. I had Pentax motor drives for my uh, Program A and my Super A that were continually had battery problems. There was a little spring that used to go in the battery connector, uh, battery terminal. And as soon as that went, that was it. You got no power in your uh, motor drive, in the, the camera. The camera wouldn't fire off the motor drive. So uh, there was a number of aspects. that. But eBay took that second hand and likewise, the likes of Amazon and eBay and some of the online uh, camera retailers took some of the business uh, away. So they've had bits chipped away from on on a regular basis for for the last decade, really. And they haven't been able... Jessup's just haven't been able to reinvent themselves. Uh, and it eventually came down to them going into administration and closing with the loss of 1,500 jobs, 187 stores... Uh, a lot of people have been saying online about how independent stores are going to go the same way. I don't think they will. Independent stores generally have a bit more of a broader attitude towards... I, I think a lot of photography stores are actually that. Jessup's turned into a camera retailer. They weren't interested in film photography or lomography or anything like that. Certainly not to the degree that they should have been. Um... Both of those things would have brought in repeat customers. Um, They decided to go down a route where they were just going to sell digital gear. And as we all know, you buy a digital camera, you buy your memory card, hey presto, you're ready to roll. And you don't have to go back into a camera store if you don't want to. You might want a a lens a little bit later on, but you know, how many lenses do we buy every year? We usually buy these items and they might last a couple of years until a new version comes out. Possibly it might even be longer than that. Um, Some lenses I've had quite a long time. Um, and I don't intend replacing them just yet until either they break or uh, a better equivalent comes along. So really, that was what it was down to. Jessup's got rid of the very thing that was bringing customers into their shop. Shoot a roll of film, you have to replace a roll of film. Um, Develop a sheet of paper, you have to replace that sheet of paper eventually. Uh, You don't have to do that with digital, so that's the reason why they went. It's very sad. Will I miss them? Yes, I probably will. Um, but it's just interesting that just recently we have a uh, a business programme on uh, the BBC over in uh, England called Dragon's Den, 
and uh, the guy from Drag, one of the guys from Dragon's Den, has actually bought the intellectual uh, property of the basically they bought the brand name. I'm just wondering whether he might reinvent Jessup's as an online brand only. In other words, set up a website that sells photography equipment, could even sell uh, film and various other different bits and bobs, but do it under the Jessup's name. Um, that could possibly be a way that the the brand come back. A few years ago, uh, a shop chain on a high street in uh, the UK called Dixon's decided... Uh, the company that owned them, Curry's, decided that Dixon's would disappear from the high street but remain online. So you can actually go to the Dixon's website now and buy buy things, but you can't uh, go into any of their shops anymore because they don't have any. That's probably the way that they might go with Jessup's. Um, it's easier to sell from a website and usually far more economical to do, to do that than uh, have 187 stores that you've got to heat, light and... Uh, have people employed there so it's going to be an interesting thing to, to see what happens to the the Jessup brand um as for getting bits and bobs well like a lot of people i usually get most of my stuff uh online and i think that's where the vast majority of people are going but i do have a couple of independent stores that i visit uh whenever i'm i'm there and they're usually generally very good so i actually believe that the independent photography retailer will stand quite a good chance of uh, staying a viable proposition on the UK high street. Right, we get round to the photography links. Now this first one is by Corey Arnold who has photographed a fishing community in southwestern Alaska. Uh, these are people that he knows that he's worked with so he's got the trust there. Terrific images. This is on the New York Times lens photography blog, visual journalism blog. Uh, Eat, sleep, fish, click, it's called. There's 20 images. And really, he's just sort of documenting the uh, the life, the work of the fishing community there. A very, very talented photographer. Some terrific images. Um, very natural-looking images, too. Some quite unusual ones. Uh, one of the more unusual ones is number 18, if you have a look at number image number 18. It's it's quite a quite a startling image. Uh, it also features a cat, and cats are usually quite uh, prominent in photography at the, at the moment. So Corey Arnold's work about the fishing community in, in Alaska is, is well worth a look, as is the, uh, the work f The Female Marines... This is work by uh, Lindsay uh, Adario for the New York Times. This was taken back in 2010, and I don't know whether I've already mentioned this, but um, the reason why this work came round again was because about the US military uh, allowing women in, uh, to fighting in uh, combat zones. Um, so this work has, has, has come back up, and Lindsay's done a fantastic job of photographing um, a series of, of images, uh, 2nd Battalion, 6th Marine Regiment, um, and they go into Afghan society, normally forbidden to their male counterparts, you know. So they're dealing with Afghan women, essentially, you know. They're uh, able to go areas where the uh, male their male counterparts wouldn't be allowed. It's... A fascinating set of images, beautifully shot, 
and also covering the Afghan conflict from a, a, a rather a different perspective, a rather interesting perspective, I think. A lot of photography over there seems to cover the same sort of things. Helicopters landing, helicopters taking off, someone being shot, uh, uh, someone being evacuated, that sort of things. This is dealing with another important part of the job, which is actually dealing with people and trying to make a difference. Um, you know, does it actually... To be honest, when you're looking at the, the images, although it's about women... Um, you know, it's just a fascinating, a fascinating look at uh, a different side of army life, um, and of course, it's it's one that's going to change radically with uh, their ability to be, uh, a female soldiers' ability to be able to fight um, alongside their male counterparts. Rightly so, as well. This next link has also got a bit of a military feel to it. It's a classic photo essay by Ralph Morse, who was a photographer for life. And it involves the story of George Lott, who was 22. He was wounded um, in 1944. Um, I think it's somewhere Ardennes, somewhere like that. I think he was injured um, towards the end of the war anyway. And Ralph Morse follows him from the time he was injured right the way to his his recovery. Um, it's a painful journey for George Lott, and quite honestly, it's credit to him that he was able to uh, probably stand having a photographer around. I don't know whether I, I would if I had been that badly injured. Eventually, George ended up losing one of his, his arms, but the... The first shot that you come across on the gallery is probably familiar to people who are into documentary photography. It's a remarkable photo essay. It's one of those essays that you can learn from. It's it's a classic and a recommended view, certainly. So that's Ralph Morse, and the gallery is called Life Behind the Picture, George Lott, Casualty of War. And on to the final link and it's Richard Barnes um, this is on the New Yorker website uh, Barnes has decided to cover civil war reenactments um, contemporary civil war reenactments in the United States that's not unusual but the way he's decided to do it is by using wet plate um, photography and the wet plate process uh, large format cameras and, and basically cover it as though he was a photographer of the period, and it's come up with some incredibly interesting results. Uh, some of the images look genuinely authentic until you just notice uh, one or two things in the background. There might be a car parked, or there might be something that you just start to notice and realise, well, actually, that wasn't taken. Uh, there's a couple, couple of an, uh, a photograph of an old couple at uh, Cedar Creek, number 15, 2011, and the couple look very authentic indeed, but in the background there's a couple of cars parked, or a car uh, that looks really quite out of place, but of course that's the whole whole point of it. Um, and the next one actually to it is um, Gettysburg, number 8, 2011, and that genuinely does look very authentic. Um, some of these could easily fool you. I love this sort of uh, photography. Using the old processes, photography just does not just include digital. It includes film. It includes wet 
plate processing. It includes whatever you want as long as you make an image uh, at the end of it. And I really love this. It's a great idea using old photography processes uh, to cover contemporary events. That's it for this podcast. I will see you at the end of uh, March. So until then, goodbye. To check out any of the links mentioned in this podcast, go to darker-skies.com forward slash podcasts.